Hi, and welcome back to the Life in Bomb City podcast. I'm Aaron Favor. And I'm Dr. Beth Rodriguez. And we are here recording to you live from the social sciences and social and behavioral sciences department at Amarillo College here on the Washington Street campus. Such a pleasure to be back with Beth. I know. I'm excited to be back. I'm sorry I missed out, but it was a crazy summer. Yeah, you had a lot of irons in the fire. We did, uh, always. Typical, three three children. <laughs> and so uh, tell me tell me a little bit about what you were uh, up to. Uh, well, of course, we were playing baseball. Like, that is the biggest. Um, we were healing my middle son because he had broken his ankle after my other one broke his ankle. So we were getting on that back, trying to get him back to feeling better so he could play baseball. And then we went on a family trip, which was, you know, I felt like we needed to do. I mean, it's just been a crazy year and we all had to kind of take some time off. So we had a fantastic, like no Wi-Fi unless you're actually in the house we rented. It was great. And we weren't in the house except for to go to sleep. So it was an amazing time. I'm so glad to hear that. There was, uh, this was a crazy summer and it was a good summer, but it was kind of the summer of getting back Mm -hmm. to back to normal, I guess, a sense of normalcy from what we knew last summer, which was still very, um, very uncertain about, you know, how we were going to deal with things. I think that there's, uh, there were people and are continue to be people. They're very uh, confident moving forward, um, with Mm -hmm. just life, you know, which is, which is great. And I think it's amazing. Um, it's always a a big question mark with regard to like whether or not, you know, a governing body or Mm -hmm. uh, that is just a, uh, it's a different animal and they take so many different other types of things into account that, um, maybe just gets written off at the individual level. Right. Um, so Anyway, that being said, last summer was different from this summer in that regard, uh, and yet we still have the conversation. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's going to go away. No. Nope. I don't think so. I think the cat's out of the bag. It and sure is. Now we're now we're probably going to... Uh, it's so you know, hard to get the cat back in the bag once it gets out, isn't that, it? That cat. <laughs> that cat. Uh, well, this morning, because tomorrow is the 20th anniversary of September the 11th, 2001, we decided that this would be a good uh, morning to talk a little bit about memory and to talk about uh, what we went through collectively and individually on 9-11 to include uh, some of the different aspects that, you know, individuals go through because people that were younger um, on 9-11 are now older. And so their memories and their brains have changed uh, fairly uh, dramatically, probably over the course of that time. And, uh, so I've got a, a brain, a brainy, <laughs> I don't know, colleague with me and somebody who, um, has a lot of insight. This is one of the things that you teach, mm-hmm. um, in development. Right. Um, and, and so I have a lot of questions for you, Good. um, to this morning. And yeah. I, I've, uh, this all started by the way, the idea of memory, not nine yeah. eleven. Um, the idea of memory, thinking about memory as a, uh, as something that we were going to do for a podcast started with my son at the grocery store mm. impulse buy. Yeah. Which is really kind of funny, I guess, in the sense of, you know, uh, behavior. Yep. So I have a bad thing about finding national geographic <laughs> specials and finding them. They always, they always find something that's attracting to me. Um, and memory, uh, the title of it, in case you are wondering and want to look it up, 
uh, we'll be pulling from what it, what it is, how it works, and ways you can improve it. Mm-hmm. And so um, off we go. Yeah. Um, what's really funny, It's I guess it's not funny, but um, for the longest time, when I first started teaching um, the memory section of all my classes, I would bring up the idea of a flashbulb memory. Have you ever heard of that before? Mm-hmm. Okay, like the flashbulb. It was, of course. <laughs> it was in the National Geographic. I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, I've heard of it, but it was just, I think it was yesterday when I was <laughs> well, swimming through it. Then you have, but the flashbulb memory is basically a memory that is so vivid and has like so much emotion and everything uh, that's evolved, evolved around it that it, when you think of it, it's like a snapshot and you can remember what it feels like, what it tastes like, exactly where you were, the different sounds that are around you, um, everything about it that it's just like a great memory and not a great memory, but it's a like in the sense of a memory, it is a good memory. Now, the truth is most of the time it's bad events that we have as flashbulb memories. And when I first started working here, I would bring up 9-11 as a collective flashbulb memory. But because of, you know, such the time difference, 20 years, and I can't believe it's been 20 years, but um, I haven't been able to use that 9-11 as a flashbulb memory because most of these students weren't there. They've been told about it, but they may not have a direct, um, the direct memory, which is the flashbulb. Okay, so therefore, even though they may have like memory of it, they did not experience it. And so therefore, guess what? It's not a flashbulb memory anymore. Okay. Yeah, that's that's okay. That's what that noise is. Yeah, (laughs) it's good. But that's worse. Yeah, just one thing real quick. We are in a different studio and it's like our own now. So it's kind of cool. So we are going to be fixing things. But that- Go um, Badgers. Yeah, (laughs) I couldn't- uh, I can't use that as flashbulb memory anymore because a collective one, because it's something that not everybody's experienced Mm. directly. So the sad thing is, is I again try to find a collective flashbulb, like something traumatic or something that's happened. And the sad thing is, is even the stuff that's happened that's bad um, is not as surprising to people anymore. So there's no collective flashbulb because we're used to now, and this is the worst, we're used to school shootings and mass shootings and bombings because it's happening now here. But before, 9-11 was like the first thing that had happened on U.S. soil that was like, what just happened? And um, one of the things with memory is the more the emotion, the better the memory of it. And so there's like the certain things that we have that the memory is so vivid that we can remember so much about it. But the one thing we do know is that memory so often is distorted by your own perceptions and your own experience. So it could be a completely uh, distorted memory because of your personal involvement in it. That's so interesting because you would think that you would be sharp on it as a result of being involved in it. Um, when in fact it sounds like it's the opposite. It really is. Um, I'm one of the things I don't know, I'm kind of a dork, but sometimes I watch, um, like the court, you know, like TV stuff where you're, you see people on trial for whatever. 
And if you've noticed, if you ever watch it, but um, they usually do not put eyewitnesses on the stand anymore. And um, it's because our memories aren't very good. They're distorted by our own beliefs and our own situations and our own experiences. So even though, you know, you may have witnessed something, like, were you really paying attention to that act? Because most of the time we're not right? We, we are paying attention to our own things. So we, you know, kind of may switch our attention for a minute and catch the end of it. And someone may say something like, oh, did you see that guy? Usually, because it's easier to say guy than girl. It's shorter. Um, but they, it's, I mean, obviously you're ignoring all the, the whole spectrum of, of other things that it could be. Oh, absolutely. For sure. And that's the thing is like (laughs) the idea here is that as soon as somebody even mentions something, it triggers a memory, makes you think of something before you even have time to fully process the information and make your own memory. That's in, that's so interesting. So if you were someone, I mean, this is, this flies in the face of, of what we want to hear about though, for, Mm -hmm. for example, um, on on September the 11th, um, and and maybe we should go ahead and, and just visit about the event sure, for a moment. Sure. Um, we had uh, four hijacked aircraft mm-hmm. uh, that uh, were being piloted piloted by uh, essentially uh, kamikaze style um, Islamic jihadists, mm-hmm. and they flew those planes into two of them into the World Trade Center, both towers. And then uh, we had the collapse of uh, both of those towers and then uh, a third tower later. And then we had uh, the Pentagon, which was hit. And then we had um, a citizen, I'm going to call them citizen soldiers, that took over, took over the plane on Flight 93 and, uh, and, and crashed it out of Shakespeare, uh, Pennsylvania. So that event was one of the defining events for a generation and most people can remember where they were, not unlike the JFK assassination mm-hmm. and not unlike Pearl Harbor. However, unlike those events, people, I think 2 billion people worldwide were watching those events unfold live on television. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of a new era of collective and shared memory because now we've got this other aspect of it, which is the sh- the shared visual memory. Mm-hmm. We always think, or a lot of folks think that, you know, in at certain times that the famous uh, video of JFK getting shot, which is so graphic, mm-hmm, right? I is. mean, if it were made today, it would be extremely graphic and not fit to play on probably on the, on NBC news or anything else. Not that they wouldn't do it just for the ratings right. and their business model, but they have, uh, they probably would, would not do it because it would be so graphic. On the other hand, that film didn't emerge until a little bit later and so when people heard the president's been shot, that's not what they were seeing. That's right. not what was running on the news that night. It wasn't anything like that. But I remember at the time there was a conversation about how healthy is it for us to watch these planes mm-hmm. exploding into the towers over and over and over and over again, which is what was happening. Right. And that's, I mean, it's true because then, you know, that is what we remember. And of course it is anytime that we have, um, vision, we see things over and over, it does become, you know, start to become a part. What do we think of almost anything, right? People were terrified of everything because of this, not just, you know, the 
twin towers, not just, you know, the extremist, right? It became almost anything that was involved, involved with it caused that fear because you could see it in your head over and over. And it was over and over. And then you got to see like, I mean, the really crazy, like so realistic part of it is like, what do you do? Like if you see the plane coming and you're either on fire and then we started seeing people jump and like that stuck in people's memory. And, you know, because it was extreme, lots of emotion involved because you can like, you start to imagine like what it would be like, like, what would you do? Right. And so when you do that, right, it just comes a lot more extreme. And then you do remember because it does, it elicits a lot of emotion and the more emotion, the better the memory. And does it mean it's like the most correct memory? No, it just means that your perception of that memory, the more emotion there's involved with it. That's what you're going to remember. It's fascinating. There's one uh, instance that I can think of in the last, you know, uh, 20 years. Um, It was, it took place about 10 years ago, and uh, I was at a, a conference in which they were talking about strategic surprise, and they had all kinds of uh, individuals that were speaking there, but one of the uh, ladies that was there was older. She was probably 90 years old, but she had walked out of her front door on the morning of December uh, in 1941 wow. and saw um, the Japanese um, planes flying she said she said within 200 feet of her head and she said she could very clearly make out the the markings and all the she knew that that was a foreign plane why why does that matter if on one hand we have that collective need and desire to to know what happened Mm -hmm. what happened how could this happen and we hold people responsible. The whole accountability system revolves around that. You were mentioning the criminal justice system Absolutely. does not accept eyewitness testimony. They do um, accept it. It's just not as credible right. as we, because we realize how messed up like, our memories right. really and are. And it's easier to poke holes in, in that oh, those yes. type of memory. And so people, more, by and large, the you know prosecutors like to, to rely on hard evidence that you mm-hmm. really, the defense ends up having to figure out how to work around rather than directly confront Mm -hmm. and say, this is why you shouldn't trust this individual. And I always think of that scene in My Cousin's Vinny. My Cousin Vinny, uh, when when that happens, remember with the car, the truck. Okay, well. That is the great show. That is a fantastic (laughs) movie. But, uh, But when we're talking to people like that, who is, you know, a survivor of Pearl Harbor, an eyewitness to Pearl Harbor, when we ask them, to tell us about what they saw, thinking back to the, this is a terrible example and probably going to cause um, <laughs> stress and trauma in people that had to endure three and a half hours. Um, but in Titanic, mm-hmm. the movie Titanic, at the very beginning, they weren't really concerned with, you know, what was it that caused the ship to sink? What they were asking um, the older version of Rose was, what was it like? Mm-hmm. which is more of that emotional, the emotional impact. Sure. What, what was it like to see that? Because it's such a dramatic thing to see and to, and to witness. It's something that in Hollywood and maybe uh, across the across the world, we've become cultured seeing those things in movies. And there's mm-hmm. this, like, this cinematic, dramatic um, Hollywood aspect of it, um, which was explored, by the way, um, on, on, on Broadway a number of years ago by one of the individuals that that wrote about this extent mm-hmm. fairly extensively um, and did some investigation into it. But 
it's still really interesting. And for that matter, we had another person that was there that was that was sitting right next to her who worked for Port Authority on September the 11th. Uh, oh. He was at the base of the building. And so to go back to what you were mentioning a moment ago about people jumping, yeah, his memory of that wasn't what we see on the TV of people jumping. His memory was the sound. Mm. So he said that he could hear what sounded like, you know, um, cars running into into the side of a concrete, reinforced concrete wall. And he said that, I mean, that was just, it was so incredibly loud. And I couldn't imagine, I was like, what, what's going on outside? Are there, I mean, yeah. just crashes going on everywhere? And that's, it started to hit them as they went outside and they saw um, people jumping. Oh my gosh. But that's, uh, I think that, that that side can inform our memories mm -hmm. in a way that maybe at the collective level, if we're just watching it on TV, sure. maybe we can be become very, um, uh, uh, not that, let's see, uh, scarred is not the right word, but scars that, that, that takes mm -hmm. place, you know, what is it? Numb to yeah. the, to the feeling, to the sense. Yeah. Um, and, and that can maybe bring back some of that. The 911 phone calls are another thing, Yeah. you know, uh, but it's it all kind of wraps or trying to wrap our mind around it twenty years later sure. does kind of pull play into that that sense of the the personal and the the need and the desire to have a collective uh, story to be able to visit about. Yeah, I think that you know um, it's really neat that you know people still do talk about it, and it's like the need to remember so we don't forget because of the people who were heroes that saved, you know, who knows how many people by risking their own lives to take the plane down. Right. And then also, you know, the firefighters or first responders that came in and, you know, worked and then didn't make it out. And I think that, you know, when we talk about it, it really does make it more of a personal side of it. Right. So they, it could be remembered completely different. Um, like, I think, you know, I'm thinking of the kids of the firefighters that went in, right? They, they would experience it completely different. Like we would experience the idea that, oh, well, you know, these people are going in, they're great. But then, you know, even to see it from their side, like, okay, one of them, I heard a story this morning that um, one of them, the dad was actually on light duty because he was hurt. But as soon as he heard about it, he went, he took, you know, he got a, uh, he was jumped on a news van. That's what it was. The news van was heading that way. And then they wouldn't let the news van in. So he ran and found a ambulance, got on the ambulance so he could get there, even though he was hurt and wasn't even supposed to be at work, but he wanted to make sure he was there. And so like, we don't know those stories. And so while we think, Oh God, these people are heroic. We, you know, we don't know the whole story. And I think talking about it, you know, it even enforces that memory of, wow, like what a big, huge impact this was to society as a whole, um, individuals, like how many lives did it actually touch? And I think that the memory of it is definitely different for people who had that, um, a personal connection to it than the people who maybe were across the country, like in Texas, watching it on TV. There's, it seems to me, there's also another dimension to memory at the collective level, which is how we preserve it. Mm -hmm. And um, as a society or as the United States um, 
of America and the people, how do we spend taxpayer dollars to um, negotiate this? How, I mean, how do you represent all the different dimensions of that and make people feel it um, in a way that is going to have lasting impact, have, I mean, what's more important, the lasting impact. And you got to, I guess you've got to make some concessions What's more important is the, you know, the emotional impact or because you said that's what makes us memory, uh, remember better, or is it more the accuracy of everything? So if it's the emotional side, then I mean, if, if you're someone who is very methodical and is thinking about, well, that didn't, I mean, that didn't happen like that while mm-hmm. you're walking through a museum. Well, that's a problem because that's a collective, sure. at the collective level. But, you know, seeing things like, you know, the helmets of firefighters who, yeah. these are the the really difficult uh, things to, to witness. I remember being, and I'm not trying to go there. I'm not making any comparisons. At the same time, it's important to that idea of preservation of memory. Remember years ago, I read a book um, about the making um, of, or the creation of the Holocaust Museum Mm -hmm. in Washington, D.C. And the Holocaust Museum is really unique because it was one of the first museums um, in history to be so um, like scientifically brain- and from from the perspective of the brain, meant to bring you to a certain place. Mm-hmm. And I remember, have you been there? I haven't. Okay, there's a bridge. Um, after you kind of get edu- get educated from the sense of, if if you haven't didn't know what happened, mm-hmm. you know they they educate you to a certain point, and then you cross this bridge, and the bridge is, if I remember right, um, made of made of like this uh, plastic that, you know, allows you to be able to see what's beneath. Uh Um, And underneath that are shoes and they're empty shoes. They're all leather shoes and they're the shoe. They're real shoes from the, those individuals that perished in that awful um, event, series of events. Uh Uh, But on the walls are the uh, doors to the crematorium ovens. And so, I, I mean, once you cross that bridge, you know you're crossing a, a, a style of threshold that is not going to be pleasant to look at. That's kind of like the big disclaimer. Hey, mm-hmm. if you've got young children, whatever you do, you know, you be careful about what you let into their little eyes because mm-hmm. this, what you're about to see is, is something that, you know, is going to, can be traumatizing to look at and watch. Yeah. And if you let it into your heart, Maybe that emotional side of the sure. of the history can um, have a more dramatic impact than that might skew your perspective of how it can happen. On the other hand, on an event like an, like the Holocaust uh, or a series of events like the Holocaust, it seems valid to say you need that emotional yeah, impact to understand what happened. I think that um, the truth is if. As I guess I know, I don't know if I've told you guys, but I taught um, history in eighth grade, right? And so, and nobody likes, I mean, in eighth grade, it's not like, oh, social studies is so fun. But it's crazy how as you get older, as you get older, people start to really um, have more of a, a draw 
and a more um, enjoyment of history. And I think it's because there's more emotion involved in it. Um, I think that you start to, you know, you read the books instead of just the textbooks. You start to see the TV shows where people do. I mean, it is more dramatized because we have to, you know, get people to want to watch it. But at the same time, it, I think that having that emotion about the memory does bring about people's curiosity and they kind of can put themselves in the situation. And when you can do that, you're more likely to remember it. You're also, um, you know, you're more involved, you're more engaged with something if it is more of a personal situation. And I think as we get older, you know, we start to feel like our history is a lot more important than we did when we were younger. Mm. That's, uh, that's, I think, uh, uh, a really valid point. And, uh, in addition to that, it also explains, um, the, the need and desire to, um, to visit about these things more. It seems, it seems to me people that get, I mean, that was what connected me to history or when I was younger was visiting the Alamo. Yeah. I remember very vividly reading the letter and I had to have somebody help me read the letter because it was written in cursive yeah. and I was a little kid and I just, I, I remember though thinking what in the, I mean, that is incredible yeah. that they knew and, and to, it was still today. It's just, it's unimaginable to think about. And yet we know people that have done it now. Right. So as you get older, you can relate to it even more deeply. Mm-hmm. Those guys that died at the, uh, at the Alamo uh, did so. And, you know, people are going to take shots and sure. take snipe at them from all parts of the social justice world. I understand the criticisms, <laughs> but don't take anything away from their courage sure. or their uh, heroism or the cause for which they were fighting uh, for the simple fact that, you know, they these are individuals that knew they were going to die, particularly the individuals that came from Gonzalez. Yeah. I mean... Do you, do you know anyone who would leave the safety of the place they were at to go reinforce a mission that was being surrounded uh, by 5,000, will eventually be 5,000 uh, Mexicans and uh, eventually lead to, you know, the mass slaughter of every single individual there? Yeah. I mean, it takes an incredible amount. Of, and yet, we think about the firefighters. Right. That's their job, though, right? Or was... Or is it their job? I mean, it, it plays into all these factors. And of course, one of the things that also kind of reinforces that question is the fact that we have changed to some extent uh, the firefighting strategy around that type of an event. We hadn't had anything happen like that before. Sure. So we lost, I think, 300 plus uh, firefighters, first responders um, on, the, on that day, that morning. And and the early estimates, do you remember they were like 40,000 people, yeah. potentially 440,000. They were trying to prepare the public for a dramatic amount of loss, sure. more than any of the country has ever faced in one day, um, maybe with the uh, caveat of the series of days at Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. And so, but I mean, they, there was no video of that. So people had no idea of how to like register what had just happened on a, like an existential level. And, and what does it mean on a religious level? And, you know, how does it mean, what does it mean for us going forward? Sure. How do we respond to something like that? And those are all difficult. But yeah, we've reorganized the way that we com- we do uh, the National Incident Management System and uh, Incident Command. So 
lessons learned. Right. And I hope, you know, I mean, that's the point of having your memory, right? That is, I mean, it's a survival reason so that you remember so that it doesn't happen again. You change systems, you change the way that you approach situations. And that, I mean, on the basic individual level, that's what it's for, right? If you remember last time I did that, I got hurt. I'm not going to do it again, hopefully. (laughs) Right. And that's the point is the memory is there for survival. So you can not only protect yourself, you know, from physical harm, but also from emotional harm. And therefore you can have a more successful life and be, you know, what we consider to be a developing, continue developed person. Right. Uh, Great point. Um, And this goes to kind of visit about our conversation with uh, regards to teaching some subject matter. um, And, you know, you're expected to talk about 9-11. Sure. And so when you talk to students, there's this hurtful thing that kind of happens for maybe individuals that if you're not understanding of what of what people are actually trying to say um it, it appears that people are burned out young younger individuals are burned out about what happened on 911 mm-hmm. um and the days following they don't understand the conflicts that were going on they don't remember the long conversation of prior to the build up of the invasion of Iraq mm-hmm. um maybe they don't fully remember um the the how awful the Taliban is and therefore have no context to prescribe to the, of what's happening right now, what's happening today. Um, and the lack of that maybe, um, I don't think is necessarily, a, a, an issue of us trying to remember nine 11 every year, but to some degree is going to fall on the accountability of those younger people. And they're kind of handicapped at that point. Sure. And it's not their fault. Right. It's a developmental thing, right? Sure. It is. I don't, I mean, this is, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm legitimately right? yeah. I'm asking from this national geographic magazine. Yeah. It says 18 ages, 13 and older. I mean, their frontal brain regions um, involved in their working memory, which would allow them to contextualize it and to think critically about it aren't fully developed until they get into their twenties. So all these videos, does it even, I mean, is it healthier to just not play anything about it and then, and then go back and contextualize it after they get older, or is it better to contextualize it over and over and over again, every single year on nine 11 and then have, does that make sense? Yeah, I see what I mean, you're saying. And it more- is true. So their brain, okay, the reason we're considered not adults anyways until we get, it's really, what's crazy is that, you know, the definition of an adult is completely different. And the truth is, is we really shouldn't consider us fully grown until we're like, that should be the adult. And that doesn't happen for some people, especially that frontal low part of your brain physically until you're 20 to 24. So, um, I think- Is it true there's a difference between the male and female? Okay, what yeah. is the what is the number for males and females? That's a good question. I don't know it off the top of my head. That's a good question. I mean, it is though. I mean, it is possible to actually look at the brain and tell if it's female or male. Be an interesting study to find out with uh, LGBTQIA. Mm-hmm. Also, though, what what developmental? Let's not go there. I'm just. <laughs> I think that it would be an interesting sure. for a psychologist writing sure. a you know, doing a study, doing field research, that would be an interesting subject yeah, matter to study. They've, there's been a lot of that study. on Probably. Okay. There has so, been yeah, already. Brain development and everything on those things. But um, when we talk, I'm serious, like the memory. So I don't know, like the things 
how we remember things at, you know, younger is completely different than how we remember things older. And I think that, you know, if it is something that is just, you're forced to remember, you don't remember it the same way as if you want to remember, if that makes sense, you know, but that's just things in general. You don't learn things that you have to learn versus things that you want to learn. And I think that goes with your memory as well. So if they are forced over and over to see these images, it becomes kind of like a, a rejecting kind of thing, like, ugh. You know, I don't want to have to deal with it. And if there's no emotion put to it and they don't have like that personal like involvement or they don't have, they can't put it into their life because they don't understand their memory of it is going to be a lot different. And I think that, I don't know if it, the earlier we have them, you know, exposed to it, I don't know that that can make a difference. It depends on the individual every single time. And that's why with memory, it's so interesting how it works because it is. It's depending on, on that personal experience and your perception of it. And if you deem it important, great. And if you don't, okay. And I mean, it's going to be different and you won't have the same memory of it. And I mean, from the opposite angle, it seems that seniors, according to the article, yeah. do appear to have an advantage over younger people in this regard. Um, particularly with the ability to contextualize things, which is not surprising with the the, the amount of experience that people yeah. have, um, even if they're not someone who's studied the the subject matter, you know, ex- intensively. Just living and being alive provides you with tools that allow you to figure out how to manage and contextualize those things so that they make more sense, right? Um, and maybe don't. <sighs> jar you is not the right word. Traumatize you is not the right word. Um, but maybe, influence. maybe influence you to the degree. That's a good, maybe a good a way to put that. Um, but more, maybe think about it more from an analytical perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Like this comes up with like the intelligence and memory thing. We do have like different intelligence. We talk about it in layman's turn all the time, which is like street smart and book smart right? Um, it's really crystallized and fluid intelligence. That's what it's considered. But, um, as we get older, right, we lose the idea of street smart. Well, it's not like you're not, don't have the common sense. It's just that you've already experienced it. So you have, there's not a whole lot for you more to experience, but your book smart continues to, um, increase that intelligence because, you do have more contextual to put it into your real life, which means that you're going to remember it more. So if you have that personal interaction with it, um, you have an experience with it, you, you know, you're going to meet more people, you're going to have more experiences, bigger perception. Um, you know, it's going to kind of like broaden your horizon. And therefore, because of that, you do have more of a personal, you know, interaction with different things that you're learning about. And because that your memory becomes better, and you have more what we consider book smart at that point that continues to increase where your fluid intelligence or the idea of the street smart can only, you know, increase to your experiences, right? There's a certain point where you're not going to like, this is not a new experience. <laughs> I've done this before. I'm 80. Yeah, I've done that and done that and done that. So it's no, no more of that street knowledge can come about because there's just so many things that you can experience. And I think that has to do with memory a lot. And that's why I think that, you know, it talks about, you know, you have the ability to contextualize and really understand something because you've had more experiences. Does, um, does the, 
okay, have you seen the new trailer for the the new prequel for The Sopranos? I haven't. My gosh. It's on HBO though, yes. It's going to, well, I, I think it's going to premiere. It's going to follow that new business model where they uh-huh. premiere it on HBO Max. So they're trying to get people. But also it'll be at the theater. I'm going, I'm definitely oh, really? going to the okay. theater. Um, so they're doing a dual premiere. And uh, I cannot wait to see, uh, I was just an avid follower of The Sopranos. I, yeah. I was a late comer into it. So yeah. I came in um, the third season. Okay. Um, and it had already, I think it came out, what, 1999? Yeah, and probably. played all the way through. And you could actually see on the show like a pre-9-11 and a post-9-11 mm. aspect of the way that, for example, their interactions with the, the Federal Bureau of Investigation when they, as, they organ, as they were trying to work to, um, to you know, deal with the transnational organized crime elements that you know, the Sopranos were a part of. Right. Um, particularly with Tony Soprano, though, they've, we've got this new new movie that's coming out that's about Dickie Moltisante, Chris's dad. Okay. And uh, it's going to be a young Tony who is, I think, believe, I believe played by, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, the son, he's the son of the lead actor who played Tony Soprano who passed oh, really? away. Uh, what's his name? James Gandolfini. Oh. Um, his son is going to be playing him huh. uh, or the younger Tony. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to imagine James Gandolfini if you haven't ever seen Crimson Tide. It's hard to yeah. like not put him into... Just like soprano. that's who he is. Yeah. He's Tony Soprano. Exactly. Um, but that's not, uh, that's obviously not the case. Extremely nice guy from what I hear uh, in real life and very, very kind. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but he always was really good at playing those types of characters. Sure. And uh, one thing that I remember about Tony Soprano that kind of maybe helps color what you were, you were mentioning a moment ago about the, what did you say? It called the crystallized and, and fluid and fluid mm-hmm. memory. So like um, the book smart and the street smart. Okay. Is the crystallized the book smart? Yeah. Okay. And fluid is the street uh-huh. smart. Okay. So he, his, his street smarts or his fluid memory is what, um, or fluid intelligence is what allows him to prosper as a, as a thug, you know, sure. as a young, as a young member who's wanting to, or a young guy who's wanting to move up in his organization and his life aspirations revolve around that, mm-hmm. um, that endeavor, you know, his street smarts are what gets you by in those situations. It doesn't matter, you know, how many books you read. And you can't read uh, books that'll tell you how to be successful in right. that world. You've mm-hmm. got to know how to do it. And it makes sense, though, that as the characters, and I'm not trying to do any spoilers here for those of y'all that are young, too young to remember The Sopranos, <laughs> but maybe too old uh, to have seen it or mm-hmm. maybe thought that it was bad television. You know, maybe you're right. Maybe it was... I thought it was fantastic t- television, I, though. But I wish I could have seen it, but I didn't. We didn't have HBO. I think y'all would like it. I know we would. Uh, y'all would really. Uh, but anyway, they broke this the sixth season up into two um, different parts, and uh, you have this culmination of all the things that Tony has learned as a result of having a relationship, um, a professional relationship with his psychologist mm-hmm. and her psychiatrist, I believe. And, and they kind of confuse Hollywood does this all the time where yes. they confuse the, the roles of psychiatrists and psychologists. Maybe that's a different conversation for another well, day. Psychiatrists usually can do medicine, right? It depends Yeah, if they still have their medical license. It's isn't, yeah. Anyways, yeah. and they're on. not clinicians in the sense of like, I guess just listening, right? which is, Anyway, the point is she's kind of like this weird collective of both of them. Mm-hmm. And so Tony uses her to visit about, I mean, the things that the therapy and uh, he starts having panic attacks. This is no spoiler. It happens in the first episode. Mm-hmm. And this causes 
I mean, you can't have a, you cannot have a member of organized crime talking to a psychologist. No. I mean, so that, that part is probably not a reality. On the other hand, it kind of raises all these interesting questions about um, intelligence. So sure. as he does talk to someone who studies those things um, and is talking to people from all walks of life all the time, his sense of empathy um, maybe doesn't change, but his understanding of himself does. Sure. And as he's able to process those things, and this is what maybe maybe one of the more controversial aspects of the therapeutic uh, value of his time with his mm -hmm. psychiatrist, psychologist, the dual role that she plays, is that um, it ends up making him a better organized yeah. crime leader instead of a worse one. He becomes a better leader because he begins to understand people that comes with its own challenges sure. because he has to figure out how to deal with the emotions. Oftentimes he t ends up taking it out in a violent way. Sure. Um, but it, it seems to me that that is a good way of, exp of thinking about that street smarts and the, mm -hmm. and the, and the book smart is that they can complement each other. And sure. people in, in business and the business world, people that are um, in government, we're always um, always harping on the establishment um, and the uh, the class of individual that is, you know, maybe more of a senator rather than a, a member of the house. They, it's like a rabble. I always explain to my students, it's like a rabble in the house. They're always competing for attention. Uh -huh. And then in the Senate, their their role is different. They're kind of a, and it, they're supposed to be an elitist body. Yeah. So as it plays into our conversation today um, about the way we remember things, it seems to me that it does make a difference to have that senior advantage, sure. um, as as identified by you know I, on the fictional level, uh, Tony Soprano, mm -hmm. and on the on the the nonfiction level, uh, uh, any type of reaction that someone like President Bush or the Congress, uh, the the voting on the first authorization of the use of military force in Afghanistan and the second one in Iraq. Um, where we sent um, uh, our young uh, our young gentlemen mm -hmm. uh, off to war and uh, had them fight a determined enemy who wanted to kill as many Americans as they possibly could. So taking the fight to them rather than just waiting, you know, and, and walling up our defenses, right. taking it to them, which probably has a certain experiential aspect to it as well. Sure. Can you talk about that? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's like... Okay, so it's just the history, right? If you remember, you know, especially if you're sitting back and you get attacked, right? You don't want that to happen. And you have, I mean, there's definitely emotion and everything that goes into this. So um, instead of, you know, doing what was done, we do something else. And it, it is, it's just, you know, everybody laughs and says, oh yeah, our history repeats itself. It does on so many levels. And it's usually because of people who remember what has been done before. And the bad thing is, is how much we always to say that we're never going to do what was done. We do it because that is really what we remember. Does that make any sense? Yeah. That sounds, it sounds like a cycle. <laughs> it is. I'm not sure. I mean, to some extent, to some extent, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with the, with the identification of things like cycles of violence, mm -hmm. cycles of poverty, sure. things like that. It was the way that was, that it was done. That's how I remember, you know, this person doing this. Therefore, that's how I know how to do it. Right. Or it's what I'm comfortable doing. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore, you know, you get, do get trapped into those cycles of, of sure. thinking. And I think we've talked about this on earlier episodes with uh, Austin Sharp and 
uh, and Zane Oliver, uh-huh. uh, where we were talking about what is the difference about poverty and, you know, gener- intergenerational sure. wealth, yeah. you know, like what is, what is that? And I remember um, everybody kind of mentioning uh, everybody, meaning everybody but me thinking, <laughs> because I mean, <laughs> just, yeah. I, thinking about the fact that, uh, you know, it's a mindset sure. that if you are trying to build wealth, it's a mindset and it's a series of disciplined decisions in mm-hmm. which you say, I'm not going to spend money where, I mean, and that's a different mindset than, sure. than maybe some uh, individuals might have about, and, and the British were worried um, to some extent, particularly in the government. I don't think in the intelligence services so much, but maybe in the British government, particularly once again, particularly in the parliament uh-huh. where they're not, they're kind of like the house. Sure. They're kind of a rabble over there. Yeah. And they're meant to make a lot of noise. It was all about their speaking style like it was back in America, back in the, you know, Mm -hmm. 19th century maybe. Um, But they still have a system in which it's all about, you know, speaking really well, the ability to compete for airtime and uh, there's certain trends that follow. But for them, they were worried that America was going to have some type of a knee-jerk reaction as, um, and I don't, I don't fully know what their reasoning behind thinking that was other than the emotional response Sure, was that the Americans would demand there be some type of a massive retaliation on Mm -hmm. Afghanistan. And of course that's not what happened. We are, you know, we are a country that believes very deeply in um, a proportional response. Um, But this was not that we always we almost got tired of hearing this after 9-11 that it was an unconventional war that it was not like any of the wars we'd ever fought mm-hmm. before almost like they were kind of like um uh kind of massaging us getting us ready for the fact that this was not going to take you know this it's wasn't going to be, be the metrics metrics of success were not going to be what they have been in the past right so don't expect um the taliban if we displace them quickly because we will you know, because we can and yeah. we will. And when they leave, it doesn't mean that anything's over. Right. You know, and preparing Americans for that and the world, I suppose, mm-hmm. for a long term war uh, wasn't something that wasn't the ideal way to start the 21st century, was it? Uh, probably not. But, and that's, I mean, you know, in that situation, you, we, nobody really knew what was going to happen. And they didn't know exactly how long, what we were going to have to do. And, but at the same time, it was, it, we knew that it wasn't going to be just like, oh, we're done. Okay, good luck. You know, it was definitely going to be this long. It's going to be a process. Anytime we have processes, you know, (laughs) if you know processes, they don't go fast. It is, you know, you have to fix this thing. And fix this thing and fix this thing. And, you know, it's not just we're going to fix it all right now. And if we did, then, you know, there would be a lot of, uh, I don't know, like the side effect. We always talk about side effects, right? The unintended side effects of it. And I think that if we did just go in, wipe everything, that knee jerk reaction you were talking about, we would have had like really bad unintended side effects from it. Um, we have some now though too. We have some knee jerk reactions, mm. but that's life. And I think that, I don't know. I think it just, it just brings back everything else that we have. Um, you know, speaking of memory and, you know, the recent events and you were talking about how some of the, you know, younger people don't have the same kind of um, knowledge or experience or memory of what happened 
20 years ago, um, they don't, you know, view what the events that are happening right now, the same way that people did have that experience view it. And that's really what memory is, right? If you do have that, you know, personal experience with it, you've been there, then you are going to perceive it differently than somebody who's just been told about it. Right. And so with recent events that have been going on uh, with our withdrawal from Afghanistan, which has been, I, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's been hard to watch these things unfold sure. over the last, uh, I don't know, month and a half to mm-hmm. two months and to talk about it for the last mo- year or so. But then to see it, I mean, really, is there a neat way to, to pull out of, of a place like Afghanistan? Probably not. Was there a more responsible way to do it? Most assuredly, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, and to watch it just kind of crumble so fast uh, has been very difficult for uh, people that had investments sure. in the efforts mm-hmm. over there. And investment can be translated into people, individuals that uh, supported our troops um, and their cause and their mission. Um, and that mission has changed the changing mission, uh, mm-hmm. in Afghanistan. It's always been to protect the homeland, but also to make sure that the folks in Afghanistan, the, the people in Afghanistan had options right. that they didn't have to always choose the, 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 the denominator that was the most violent or more, most powerful denominator that w- is more capable of governing. It mm-hmm. seems like that's an old theory of government, that maybe is still very much in play in, and I, I, I don't want to use the term more primitive societies, but um, the what uh, maybe less intricately wound mm-hmm. societies and more tribal societies to where um, there's not a lot of communication with other individuals outside of their small collective group. Mm-hmm. And then also uh, travel where individuals travel even, you know, within their own nation state, as small as it, as it is in relation to America, that investment of, um, of, of, uh, both resources of commitment of time of emotion of, of just energy Mm -hmm. over the last 20 years and our, how used we've how used to it we've grown as it beings is something that's always kind of in the news, right? You know, just something. Well, where are you deploying? Well, uh, you know, we'll be in Iraq for the next six months, and and of course the way that America has changed, the way we deal, the American um, uh, military looks at trauma has changed because we've learned over time sure. what a healthy <laughs> such a thing is what a what what is a healthy amount of time to stay in country mm-hmm. and and what how can we mitigate these to the very best of our ability in terms of you know PTSD and and a lot of the other issues that our soldiers uh, came came back with sure um which i mean is imminently complicated sure um, well i mean that's it's you know you talk about PTSD and that it does have a lot to do with memory and the emotion you know and um the brain's inability to really comprehend everything that's happened. It's a, you know, like highly, highly intense emotion situation. So like when I talk about memory, like we talked about, like, you know, the more emotion, the better the memory to a point, right? If it's a traumatizing emotion, then actually your memory pretty much sucks and can actually shut down where you don't even remember things happening. Um, And so, you know, it's like, 
and especially what had to do with war because you know there's usually loss of life and when there's somebody loses life in an unexpected way you're going there for protection or whatever's happening um, it is more dramatic and it is more emotional but in those situations it actually can make your memory worse and and it seems like wait <laughs> you just said more emotion the better memory but it's like to a point there is a threshold to where that's not the same uh, <clears throat> one thing that you know you're talking about how in Afghanistan and I think one of the things that people need to re- remember is that these young girls that were you know born and that have been raised during this 20 years are going to have to learn a whole new way of life and I think it's going to be harder I think they're going to be um, you know less more resistant to you know, reverting back to the way they were because they remember what it was like when they didn't have to do the things that they're having to do now. And so in 20 years, what will that look like for them? It's interesting to think about that because uh, George Friedman ran a, uh, a really interesting piece in, um, his, on his blog, I believe, on geopolitic, geopolitical futures in which he was talking about the 40-year war in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And that America has really been in, invested in Afghanistan since 1979. And our interests in Afghanistan um, changed over time, but mm-hmm. ended up, you know, collapsing with the fall of the Soviet Union, the Declaration of Success, and some other things. Even though it didn't play out once again in a conventional manner, where you have a, you know, a ceremonial signing of a surrender right. or things like that. Um, but there was, um, in that instance, the 1990s, and I was talking to a. Uh, friend uh, while uh, maybe like maybe a couple months ago um, and we discussed the unraveling of the world in the 1990s and how so much of the angst both of us graduated high school in the 90s so we remember being teenagers in the 90s and how Mm -hmm. angst strident it was it was just like everywhere Um, seemed like the music the pop music everything that was about the 80s or nothing the the 80s the 80s too though I mean but the 80s was like a different a different feel the nineties music. And, you know, like I just remember like Nirvana, for example, thrusting the knife into the hair bands and, you know, twisting it and wanting to see the blood almost. That was what it, that was the type of angst that it created. Mm -hmm. And that's what people wanted to see uh, was, this is so emotional. Let's go away with it. So let's do away with that and and go to a a more emotional type of music. That's a little bit more like we're going to resolve this Mm -hmm. (laughs) one way or another and in the 90s, that was playing out on a, on a larger scale. It was uh, indicated by Secretary of Defense Robert Gates in a speech that he made at the University of Kansas. Uh, and he says that, <clears throat> like, in, in the 1990s, what we found was that, like ghosts in science fiction, they rose from the dead. And things that had been buried for 90 years, 80 years, as a result of the World War I, and the aftermath of it mm-hmm. uh, with the assassination of Archduke von Ferdinand and some other things that, you know, the Black Hand in Serbia, the ultra-nationalist uh, group, that those things had been almost buried for however long and, and it showed that eth- ethnic strife can't just be erased right. by experience. That, that gets passed on. Mm-hmm. And if you don't deal with it, 
Somebody will eventually. Right. So in the 90s, we start having to deal with the Balkans. Yeah. The Balkans is where World War I starts. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, how do we intervene and why is it important to intervene? And that lead and that kind of leads to the conversation about Afghanistan, which leads us back to 9-11. Right. When um, we start to learn that Al-Qaeda um, in, I believe, 1991 forms and persists in North Africa and then persists into Afghanistan and then the planning and the carrying out of that attack. Of course, we had multiple attacks prior to that also. And so anyway, I, this is like the, the what George Friedman discussed mm -hmm. uh, with regard to the 40-year war in Afghanistan yeah. was that this is a long conflict. And for him, what his uh, opinion was about was that it's difficult to see um, people uh, all of a sudden commenting on the close of the war. Right. It's like at the end, everybody's got an opinion. Mm -hmm. Right. Prior to the end, it seemed like people were just, I don't care. Right. Until they had, it was almost like they had to see it to be reminded. Yes. There, that the recent images of the Taliban whipping women in the street is why we were there. In the first place. Yes. I mean, do we, and it kind of re us new questions about the future. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that is, the role that memory plays Absolutely. regarding 9-11 is how do we continue to be a force for good yeah. and standing for the values that America stands for, the tenets of human dignity and political liberty. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's the point of, that is the point of memory is it does. It brings up the things so you can remember why you're doing it in the first place. Right. Cause when you're, when it's just becomes mundane and you're just, it's just happening and nothing's, and then you realize, oh, wait, you know, I remember now why it's, why we did this. I remember, you know, what it was like before. Okay. And all of those memories are there for, so you will remember and have more of like the survival thing and be like, okay, now I know my purpose again. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I can't believe, I just looked down to see how much time and we try to do, you know, about an hour and we're, I, before we, you know, cause I do want to, we do want to stop, but I just want to make sure that you know, it is good to talk about it, you know, um, and I know sometimes there's really things that are seem very traumatic and people don't want to, but it is good to talk about. It is good to remember there's a reason. And, you know, 9-11, it was, it was a horrible event. It was not something that people really want to remember, but we do need to talk about it so we can remember the people who were so heroic, who, you know, did give their lives, who were trying to save other people and I think that, that that just really illustrates what America is really about, is these people. And I just, I want to say, you know, to the survivors and, you know, the people who did lose their life, you know, thank you for everything that you've done because, um, to, you know, tomorrow is the day to remember these, you know, the lives lost, but also the people who were very heroic, people who didn't, that didn't die, but still did help. And, you know, I think that it's very important that that is something that we do. I, I totally endorse what, uh, what you just commented on. And uh, no doubt it is a result of our uh, heroic efforts of our military, um, of our service members, of our uh, law enforcement community um, that has been so uh, deliberate in trying to counter those, uh, those types of threats to the homeland and, and abroad sure. um, in the sharing of intelligence and the sharing of uh, operational you know, resources and things that, Things like that that has um, prevented 
um, those type of cataclysmic events. Uh, and and we're just so grateful to you yeah. guys. And we really appreciate everything that you've done. And we will remember. Yes. So thank you so much. Uh, this has been our September 11th um, yeah. memorial episode. Um, God bless everybody. God bless America. And we will see y'all next time. Right. Have a good one. It's good to have Beth back. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. All right, bye.